Our text today is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. In the best of times, we don't know what to feel on this day called Palm Sunday. Jesus enters Jerusalem in what some call the triumphal entry. We read of people spreading their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. By the way, it is John who tells us of the palm branches. They praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna, by the way, is a Hebrew expression meaning save. It is an exclamation of praise. And the statement, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a direct quote from Psalm 118. Yet in several days, Jesus will be betrayed, he will be arrested, he will be scourged, he will be crucified, he will die and be buried. When asked by Pilate, which of the two do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas, The crowd answered, Barabbas, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all answered, they all answered, crucify him. Pilate asked, why, what crime has he committed? They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Then we read, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And what did they answer? All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. What a turnaround. Almost to give one some psychic whiplash, going from one extreme to the other. Some would imagine, I would never do that. I would never say crucify him. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus is not for you because he came to call sinners, not the righteous. As I said in the best of times, we don't know what to feel on this day. Today, we find ourselves not in the best of times. We find ourselves in a very dark time. So one might well ask, what am I supposed to feel on this particular Palm Sunday? One pastor, also author, put it this way, Palm Sunday is the Trojan horse of the Christian year. We get lured in by the festivity, but before we know it, we are being assaulted by the long dramatic reading of the Passion. The author continues, of all the days in the Christian year, Palm Sunday is the most disconcerting. We start out in a gala mood. Palm Sunday has always been a crowd pleaser. It comes as a shock to us year after year to find ourselves abruptly plunged into the solemn, overwhelmingly dramatic reading of the Passion. One could argue it would be tempting on this day to follow good American practice to tone down the depressing parts 
accentuate, accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. But we need to remember that Palm Sunday is not a day unto itself. Palm Sunday is the introduction to Holy Week. There are several issues we need to deal with. First of all, we tend to see this event as taking place as Jesus enters Jerusalem. This is not the case, if you will read carefully. The throwing down of cloaks and of branches, the palm branches, happens outside the city. Secondly, we fail to take into account another part of this event, and this is what we find in our text. Let's begin in verse number 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And now we come to the specific part of our text, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. For only the second time in the Gospels we read that Jesus wept. The first one being, I think, the more familiar, when Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. But now we come to the second one, and it is one that we don't normally associate with Palm Sunday. And I think this is due to a faulty reading of the Gospel accounts. We must ask ourselves, why did Jesus weep? He wept over Jerusalem. And, and what is this city? It is supposed to be the city of God. And yet it is marked by a long history of disobedience and disappointment. For a thousand years, God had been preparing her to meet her Messiah, beginning with the promises made to David, continuing through the messages of the prophets. They were being prepared to meet her Redeemer and her Savior. And now the Messiah appears and Jerusalem is going to arrest him on false charges, turn him over to the Gentiles who will flog him and kill him in the most degrading way through crucifixion. But Jesus does not weep for himself. He weeps for the city. He weeps for those who will soon shout, crucify him. In other words, he weeps for us. Jesus is mobbed as our text begins. He is mobbed, so to speak, as a celebrity. And what is his response to this adulation? He weeps. He weeps for Jerusalem. And now, hopefully by God's grace, we begin to get a sense of the purpose of Palm Sunday. 
It is for us, it is for the church to know the things that make for her peace and to know the time of her visitation. This is the language we find in the King James Version. The time of God's coming to you in the NIV, the time of her visitation. And it is for us as God's people to know that it is in the agony of his cross that we find our peace. I love the expression visitation that we find in the King James. It reminds me of other passages we find uh, in the Old Testament, for example, in the book of Ruth. Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. There are other such passages, but let's stick to the Gospel of Luke. Twice in the Song of Zechariah in chapter 1, first in verse number 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then in verse number 78, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. And then in chapter 7, Jesus raises the only son of a widow in the town of Nain. And after he raised him from the dead, we read, And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet had risen or is risen up among us, and that God has visited his people. And then there is our text that Jerusalem did not know the time of her visitation. We have to ask ourselves do we know the time of our visitation? We should stop and think. And not just for a moment. Many do not want a crucified Messiah. We do not want to see Jesus degraded on the cross. In some sense, we want to make Easter easy. The story is told of an individual who came across a gift and card shop, had a sign in the window, we make Easter easy. And by that, he took it to mean that they were offering one-stop shopping for all the eggs, cards, bunnies, chocolates, and more. But he also realized that it is an example of how, as human beings, we tend to run as far away and as fast as we can from the cross. We don't like the cross. And why is it? Why is it that we don't like the cross? Why would we just as soon skip Good Friday and go from Palm Sunday as this joyous gala event to Easter and everything will be beautiful? Could suggest any number of reasons, but let's start with the reality that Palm Sunday should make things clearer for us than I think oftentimes we see it. We need to come to terms with the reality that the cross means understanding that good religious people like you and me are responsible for our Lord being on the cross. We want Easter to be easy, but it was not easy for Jesus. One can recall the verse from Lamentations in a different context is that nothing to you, all you who pass by, 
Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. As one writer put it, Easter costs the greatest price that has ever been paid in the history of the universe. And yet, amazingly, miracle of miracles, for you, for me, it is free. It costs us nothing. It costs God everything. God weeps for the sin that brings him to Jerusalem to die for her redemption, for ours as well, as well as all of creation. As we hear in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think it would help if we were to recognize this day not as Palm Sunday, but as the Sunday of the Passion. In this way, we remind ourselves and proclaim to the world that the crucifixion of Jesus is, in fact, the main focus. It is the main event. We cannot get from Palm Sunday to Easter without Good Friday. The good news, the gospel, revolves around the death of Jesus. And his death is so staggering, so staggering that we might well wonder how it has become so trivial, so ordinary, so taken for granted. I would argue that it starts with how we view this day and the events of this day. We want to focus on the cheers, not the tears. We don't want the hard words that Jesus says as he weeps over Jerusalem. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. As Isaiah tells us, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It is this week that is at the heart of the church's claim to truth. And what do we hear about this event? Let me read to you from Luke 23, beginning at verse 33. When they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, and they divide up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Mark's account tells us, Mark 15, beginning at verse number 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see 
what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked, among them, mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This is the opening verse to Psalm 22. It is a cry of dereliction, which we do not and perhaps never can fully understand. But it is the proving ground of our faith. It's not just the heartbreaking lament of an abandoned man. It is that, but not only that. You see, we see and hear in Jesus' death, God's intervening, God's intervention to deliver his people from ultimate abandonment. Jesus was abandoned, and by God's grace, we will not be abandoned. What we hear in the four Gospels is that in this event, in this God-forsaken death, the scales have been tipped in the opposite direction. Sin and evil and death are not the last word and never will be again. But can we expect people to believe this? Do we believe this? Here in, this, in the midst of this pandemic, facing a week, which some are saying will be one of the hardest in our history, how is one to believe? The facts seem to point in a different direction. Look at our history and not the distant past. Is there not the same old violence, brutality and vengeance? And now we are seemingly surrounded by death. I would suggest that our doubts or suspicions in this matter begin on the day we call Palm Sunday. Some have referred to it as the triumphal entry and thus have an expectation, a strong expectation, of Christian victory. Somehow we struggle and perhaps fail to appreciate Paul's words to the Galatians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I would suggest to you that the power of the gospel is present in this evil age, even while it is still hidden in the weakness of the people of God. Jesus did inaugurate something new. The kingdom of God has come. I think perhaps we've been looking for it in the wrong places. Paul told the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Lord had told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and three times he asked God to remove it. God did not say no. He simply said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul writes a few verses later, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is what we should hear on this day. While many, if not most, remember the cheers of the crowd, we should remember the tears of the Lord Jesus as we enter the week of his passion. There is a hymn, it's in our hymnal, called Lead Me to Calvary. There are two ways to go to the cross. One is to go as spectators, that we're there for the show. We don't acknowledge that we are responsible or complicit in any way. The way is to go as penitent sinners, knowing our need for Christ, even as we acknowledge our acquiescence, our consent to his death. We live in a culture that is much more interested in spirituality. One has observed that the character faith of many in our culture is unrelievedly upbeat. As one author put it, you never hear about sin and evil and judgment. It's about love and success and being happy. The pastor who wrote about this concluded, their spirituality has no cross as it, at its center. For us to get to the cross, we must begin on this day. We must hear Jesus as he weeps. And we must recognize that he weeps for us. Then we can come to the cross. And in the words of the hymn that we sang earlier, in my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Let's pray together. Father, it seems to be our tendency to get things backwards. We want to see on this day great triumph. We want to ignore the tears. Somehow we want to separate ourselves from the crowd. We want to say, we would never do that. The reality is we are sinners, and Jesus came to save sinners. He gave his life to save sinners. As we enter this week of his passion, may we keep these things in mind. May we remember that we cannot get to Easter without Good Friday. We cannot have resurrection without death. We are told that in this coming week there will be much death across our nation. Again, we ask for your grace and your mercy to intervene. But if there is great death, 
may we not forget the death of your son who gave his life that we might have life, who was abandoned that we might not be abandoned. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. May your spirit speak to our hearts on this day. I pray for every member of this congregation, for those that are listening. Your grace would be with them. They would have a sense of your presence, that you would keep them safe from harm. And I pray this in Jesus' name.